Folks, welcome to Vintage Baseball Reflections. I am Tom, the baseball nostalgia guy, bringing you these treasured pieces. Do you miss the good old days of listening to baseball through radios? It was a classic pastime that stood for decades and shaped how we cherish baseball in our heroes. These stories are from a moment in time that were heard by fans just like you. They are uncut, unfiltered, simply here for you to enjoy. So I just want you to enjoy this reflection on baseball history. Here's another chapter of Double Play with DeRocher and Day. Welcome to another visit with baseball's most exciting and controversial couple, Lorraine Day and Leo DeRocher, with their guest for today, Charlie Dressen. And as we join them, Charlie Dressen, manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Leo DeRocher, manager of the New York Giants, seem to be having a slight difference of opinion. I know one thing, Charlie. You stole many a sign from us last summer. Hey, you two, will you stop arguing? Come on, Leo, bring Charlie over here. I'd like him to meet our baseball fans. Well, Lorraine, after all, what do you expect when the managers of the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers get together? But here's something that neither one of them can argue about. And now back to Leo and Lorraine and their guest for today, Charlie Dressen. Baseball seasons come and go, but baseball fans will never stop talking about the climax of the 1951 National League pennant race and Bobby Thompson's mighty home run, which brought the championship to the Giants. It'll always be a favorite topic of conversation for baseball managers, too, especially Charlie Dressen, who suspects Leo DeRocher of using witchcraft. Friends, I'd like you to meet Charlie Dressen, manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Hello, baseball fans. Listen, Charlie, what was all that argument going on over there at the bar? Well, I was trying to find out what Leo did to our Dodgers. <laughs> and another thing I wanted to find out, when he called Bobby Thompson up in the ninth inning and he hit that home run in that last game that, you know, decided the playoff, I wanted to find out what he told him. You mean you haven't heard about McPherson McTavish? What is he, a bullpen catcher? <laughs> Charlie, come on over and sit down. Leo, I want you to tell Charlie about McPherson McTavish. Well, Charlie, on Tuesday, six days before the close of the season, I received a letter, and all it had on it was the signature, McDougal McPherson McTavish. And it started out by saying, this is a prophecy. And he went on to say that come the close of that night, we would be one game out of first place. Well, if you recall, we were two and a half out when we started, and you lost a doubleheader, we won. He was right. We picked up a game and a half. We're only one game out. He said that on Friday, we would be one game behind for the National League pennant. And uh, if you remember, you had lost two games while we weren't playing, so we were tied. He also said in the middle of the letter, on September 31st, no, you will... September 30th. There are only 30 days in September. Well, on, on <laughs> September 30th, anyway, it was the last day of the season, you will win the National League pennant. And who's going to do it? In parenthesis, nobody but Bobby Thompson. Signed, McDougal, McTavish, McPherson. McPherson uh, Whatever it is, it's three Scotsmen. <laughs> I know that. So I just said to myself, this is pretty good. And I showed it to Bobby Thompson. He laughed. And I kept the letter in my pocket. And uh, when you brought Brank in, I said to Bobby, Bobby, what did Brank throw you in Brooklyn when you hit the home run off him? He says, I don't know, Skip, a curve or a fast one. I said, look, I think he's going to start you off with a fast one. I says, and be ready. I said, don't take anything. If the ball's over there, go to Belton. He says, Okay. And you remember, Charlie, he took the first one. That's right. Right down through the middle, and then he threw him another fast one, and maybe it was high inside, I don't know, but he hit the home run. Well, now, that's been in my mind ever since, Charlie, 
And uh, McTavish? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe I can get him, uh, say, for next year to tell me who to bring in the bull from the bullpen. What do you mean? You want him to make your selections? Well, if he's going to do that for you, why not do it for me? Well, look, let me ask you one question, Charlie, and this is a good time now that you brought that up. There's been a lot of second-guessing going on. I've been asked the question a number of times, and I know you have also. Why did you relieve with Frankie in the playoff game? Why didn't you bring in Levine? Why didn't you pitch Rowe? Well, course... uh, you know, I think we should clear up uh, why people are saying, why did you bring in Branca? Because in the first game of the playoff, Bobby Thompson had hit a home run off Branca. He hit the first one, and then the Irwin hit the second one. That was in the first game. It beat us mm -hmm. three to one. Two home runs beat us. He pitched a four-hit game. Right. Branca did. Yes. King is my number one relief pitcher, and he's a... Uh, a little frail fellow. You had him there. He was just a school kid when he when you had him, and I coached there. He hadn't did any good in the last five weeks. He wasn't very effective, but I couldn't use him. I pitched Labine the day before. Of course, everybody said, "Why don't you put him in?" Because he shut you out the day before. I'll and, say he did ten or nothing. And before the game started, I talked to Rowe, and I said, "Preacher, I said, do you think you could go two innings today?" He said, "Charlie, if I had one more day's rest, I'd be all right." As you know, he pitched on Sunday, and he only had two days rest, and he has to have four. Yeah, and he... sometimes you can't pitch him with three. Sometimes I give him six. So the three fellows I had in the bullpen, I had Erskine down there if something happened early for the long man. And I had Labine down there to pitch to one hitter, a fellow that I thought maybe couldn't hit a curve so good. So the fact, of course, fans don't know that. Well, Branca, who had uh, a rest and uh, the season's over and uh, like that, as you know, it don't hurt a pitcher to go in with one after he's had one day's rest. So I have Clyde King, who... You know the coach, and Leo knows. You mean Super? I mean Clyde Super. Yeah. In the bullpen, and uh, he runs my bullpen, and I and do he's it a by very telephone. Good coach, too. That's right. Wonderful. And coach. he's uh, he's a very good man, and we did it all year. So I called down. And I said, Clyde, what about it? He says, uh, Branca's got a real fastball. Well, I said it's good enough for me. So we selected Branca. Probably there's only one thing. Uh, maybe if I'd have stayed on the mound and said, I'll just fire the ball. As uh, we were talking before, and I told you that we tried to figure it out in Brooklyn when you was managing nice coach, and sometimes he'd throw a ball with the, uh, the same motion. It'd be very fast, and next time he'd throw the same ball with the same motion, it wouldn't have as much on it. Well, I found out what he does, but I couldn't tell him it was too late. The ball was gone, as you just said before. You told Thompson he hit the first ball. He pitched the first ball, but it had so much speed on it, it was buying. That's right. And I think it was right in his groove. It, was it really inside. was. It was right in his alley. So I know what he tried to do in the next, and he tried to lay it to his weakness, and I don't think he had as much on the ball. And when he released it, there it went. Goodbye. And there it went to the Brooklyn and Dodgers. And thank goodness. <laughs> and while I have both of you here, I would like to uh, sort of get this big rhubarb settled all about this bean ball. The newspaper men generally started that any time a ball gets close to fellas, a bean ball... Uh, Leo played and I played and if a fellow's a low ball hitter like I was and he was too you try to pitch high to him and uh, we all know that you can't throw that ball where you want to and if you try to pitch high inside the fella it might get uh, six inches this way which is pretty dangerous I don't think any pitcher ever tried to hit a fellow in the head and I know as a manager I never told any fella that one of my pitchers to do it and I know I coached for Leo and I know he didn't do it when he was at Brooklyn, and I don't think he does it with the Giants. There's always going to be rivalry between the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants for that simple reason, that our pitchers want to win so badly the same as your pitchers want to beat us. And we try to get the ball to your hitters' weaknesses. And there are times when you are going to be brushed back. 
I think that's part of the game. Then in other words, you would say that this big bean-ball feud between our two clubs was played up mostly in the newspapers. I would say so, Lorraine. Well, that settles that. I think it has to. I think that they make a lot out of nothing. Well, now, now wait a minute, Leo. Yes, wait a minute, fellas. Let's take time out for this timely message. Well, the rhubarb is still going on, and Dressen still isn't satisfied that the 1951 Giants were the better team. All that remains now is a comparison of the players, man for man. How about it, fellas? I know you had a good ball club. Now, you can't tell me you didn't have a lot of luck attached to that last month and a half. Win 37 out of 44. After all, I think Hodges is a better first baseman than Lachlan. Oh, wait a minute, Charlie. Wait a minute. Now we can get into something. This is you and I. I don't know as I'd trade you Lachlan for Hodges. Oh, you wouldn't. Oh, maybe Hodges was picked on the uh, on the All-Star Club and everything, but Lockman, I thought, come along great. And after all, he never played first base before. I think he did a good job there. Well, you, are you going to tell me that Stanky's a better ball player than Robinson? Well, now you might have me there right by the neck. I don't know that Robinson does everything. He liked to beat me himself. In fact, he did beat me most every game you played me. He's just a great ball player. But Stanky is a valuable guy in the I ball club, too. May I ask a question? Too. May I ask if you were saying that Robinson... If they didn't have Robinson, Brooklyn wouldn't have beaten you a game? No, I don't mean it that way. I think Brooklyn's got some good ball players on their ball club. Naturally, they have. But I also think that Stanky was a great asset to my ball club. I mean, he, not only on the field, off the field, in the clubhouse, in the hotels, and talking to the players and things like that, Charlie. Well, what about Reese now? You don't... You know, he's a good short. Well, I, I brought Reese, uh, you know that. You were with me. We brought Reese up at the same time, and I think he's a great player. In fact, he, he made me throw my glove away and quit. I think he's a great ball player. Dark had a great year. I don't know, Charlie. You, you know, you get into, you can put a blanket over both those fellas now. Well, the third baseman, of course, I'm oh. not, I'm not, I'm not going to try to say that now. my boy can hit as much as now. Do you think but, he's a better fielder? I wouldn't trade my boy for anybody in the world after that hit, that, oh. that hit he got what against your What about that club? wonderful play that um, uh, he made over at Brooklyn? Wasn't it a double play with Robinson well, on third? Right, well, well, I've never play. seen a play like that. That well, was just to, great. I had some fans tell me after they saw uh, Cox play that last uh, playoff game, they didn't even go to the World Series. They won't see anything like that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't think there's a third baseman in baseball that can defend defensively a third base as good as he can. I think he's great. Well, then, uh, after all, you, I know that you got to say we got the best right fielder. He only had 27 assists. Well, he's quite a ball player. And that's the, one of the guys, too, that about the feud and everything else, about the Ferrillo. beanball. Never Ferrillo got hit in the head. Jones hit him in the head. And I know darn well that... That Brillo thinks that Jones did it intentionally, and I think Carl still thinks to this day well, that I told him. Does. Well, and you know that's not so, and I hope Carl uh, gets that out of his mind because it isn't so, Charlie. Now Let's about right about field, Sanders. pretty good. Well, Let's of course, talk about uh, Willie May. Your, your center fielder is voted the Rookie of the Year. I understand, and he made a play against us that probably, oh, well, of course, great. you know, it oh. only took one game, and that play he made that day saved the game for you. But great. Uh, I said it was great. Of course, they misinterpret that, too. Yeah, and they said that you'd like to see it done again. I well, so. Well, well, right. well, listen, you but were not saying... not against me. I didn't want to see it done again. <laughs> not against you. No. Charlie, you were saying that uh, our team was very lucky. Well, I think a lot of the games that we lost to you in Brooklyn, that your team was very lucky. For That's instance, right. where Whitey was thrown out at home, you said that it took five perfect uh, breaks well, to, no, it didn't to get him that. out. I was uh, coaching at third base, and maybe, honey, I shouldn't have sent the man in. But they made perfect relays, and they did get him out. The same as Willie Mays did make the great catch and the perfect pivot and throw a strike to home plate to get Cox out on the play that Charlie's talking about. But he's got a center fielder, Duke Snyder. I don't know, every time I looked up, Snyder, home run, 28, 29. What did he hit this year? Well, he hit 30. 
30 home runs. He hits right at 300. I know that he slumped off towards the latter part of the season, but I know that he's, he's quite a ball player and a great center fielder. Well, I, as I said, you had, you had a good club, but I had a good club, too. But uh, you saw your club, and I saw the bad breaks that we had. My players just made one remark. If they could only play the Brooklyn Dodgers again, we'd beat you. Well, my, my oh. players said, I hope we get to play the Giants again, too. It's what no use even trying to break this up. You know, it took them three extra days to decide the National League pennant. Anyway, it was wonderful being with you. And don't forget to write to me and tell me what you'd like to have us discuss. Okay? So long. You've been listening to another chapter of Double Play with baseball's most exciting couple, Lorraine Day and Leo DeRocher. Today, Lorraine and Leo have as their guest, Charlie Dressen. Join us when again it's time for Double Play with Leo DeRocher and Lorraine Day, plus another big-time guest star. Double Play is produced by Marty Martin, directed by Ted Neeland, and is a Martet production. VintageBaseballReflections.com features a treasure chest of baseball audio. The wonderful thing is the audio isn't a guy like me or a few talking heads reflecting on players, seasons, or teams. It is the actual players from that era, announcers from that era, giving you an uncut, unfiltered, unrecent day stance on what it was like then. These are real-time clips from that era. Now, we encourage you to check out our entire back catalog of baseball audio. And if you like old-time games, and folks, and folks, you are not alone. Join the membership section to enjoy interacting with fans, scoring games with folks just like you, and listening to hundreds of radio broadcasts that were baseball classics. As a special offer to you, type in This Day in Baseball for a discount just for you. And if you enjoyed the show, hit the plus sign to subscribe, follow us on the socials, and above all, share us with your friends who love baseball history just like you.